If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process is started, we'll wait to the next election. You're on the record. Yeah. Yeah. You're a little lying hypocrite, Senator Graham. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, so long as the fire doesn't take down our transmitter at the top of Mount Wilson out here in Los Angeles. We're also heard uh, in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe, even during pandemics, fires, hurricanes deaths of Supreme Court justices on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verd and Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Uh, well, at least the unspeakable hypocrisy is now visible. Visible enough that everyone who wishes to see it can now see it. Whether they wish to see it, that is another matter. In February of 2016, after the death of Justice Antonin Scalia at the very beginning of that election year, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, and I quote directly and explicitly, quote, the American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. That was some nine months before that year's presidential election. Mitch McConnell kept his word. He and his Republican caucus refused to meet to meet with uh, even uh, then-President Obama's nominee, the highly distinguished and centrist chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, Merrick Garland. He was never given a hearing. He was never given an up or down vote or even a vote of any kind in 2016, either before or after that year's election because, as McConnell said, voting in the primary had already begun when Justice Scalia died and, quote, the American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Well, voting has now already begun in several states 
on the actual general presidential election this year. Election Day, your last chance to vote in the 2020 election for president, for Senate, for everything else, is now just 43 days away. Yet within hours of the news of the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg last Friday, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced that Donald Trump's nominee to fill the seat of the legendary progressive champion of justice would, in fact, receive a vote this year. Again, the final chance to cast your vote, Election Day, November 3rd, is just 43 days from today. We will talk uh, about a little bit about uh, RBG's life and legacy, the gobsmacking hypocrisy in response to her death from the Republican caucus, and how you believe that Democrats and the American people at this point should now respond to what is about to unfold, to what is unfolding. I would love to hear from as many of you as we have time for today while we have the opportunity. So I am going to open up the phones in a little bit. If you want to get in line now, the phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, to hear what you believe that Democrats should do now. And how you plan, you plan to respond to our latest unfolding nightmare today. We'll have time later on this week for so-called experts. They'll join us tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, I'm sure, and probably the tomorrow after that. But today, I want to hear from you, your reflections on the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how we should all move forward as a country from here. But first, as is the case so frequently these days, one tragedy steps on another and another. As we go to air, another hurricane or at least a tropical storm intensified by man-made global warming is now gunning for the continental U.S. in what has been a record storm season amid the unspeakable failed response to a global pandemic at the federal level, which has so far resulted as of this weekend, in the deaths of more than 200,000 Americans. As the formerly great, world-respected CDC has now become so politicized by our current president that their, their warnings about the virus being spread through the air have now been removed from their website without comment. They say, oh, it was an error. We shouldn't have put them up there. Uh, th that's as of this morning. So that chaos all continues as still more blows ashore from tropical storm and or hurricane beta, I believe we're calling it, Desi Doyen? <laughs> well, actually, it's tropical storm beta. And yes, the Atlantic hurricane season is so extreme this year that forecasters are now pushed to the Greek alphabet for only the second time in recorded history. Because we've run out of Names. English names, yes, yeah. in the English alphabet. Yeah. So um, this is how bad it is. Three tropical storms formed in the space of six hours on Friday. We had tropical storm Wilfred, Alfred, and Alpha, and Beta. Now, the problem that we're seeing now is that uh, tropical storm Beta is forecast to slam into the Texas Gulf Coast around the Port Aransas, uh, Corpus Christi area, mm. possibly closer to Houston. Um, and it is going to basically hug the Texas Gulf Coast on its way to Louisiana. So it's following the pathways mostly of Hurricane Harvey, oh. which was the worst rainfall event in U.S. history on record. So even though this may hit as a hurricane, not as, as a tropical, tropical storm, uh, as a tropical storm instead right. of a hurricane, 
We're seeing potentially, again, what we saw with Harvey, a, a, a storm with so much rain, slow moving that Houston... Yes, it's very, Houston... very slow moving. It will take a week to drive from Houston oh, to La- to basically New Orleans really? at this point. Yes. So it's going to be uh, have many, many, okay. many days to dump, dump uh, quite a bit of rainfall and will bring dangerous flooding uh, on Monday through the rest of the week. And the flooding is the primary concern. So do not be fooled by the fact that it's only a tropical storm because those only refer to the wind speed. They do not tell you about the storm surge or the flooding along rivers that you will get from inland rainfall. So it's going to be a compound flood event from storm surge coming from the ocean and river flooding coming from inland. So people need to be ready and listen to all evacuation orders and instructions from officials. So uh, be safe down there. Our friends in Houston, our friends in New Orleans at WHIV, all along that area. Uh, Don't be... KPFT. Don't be... Yeah, don't be uh, uh, tricked into believing that, oh, it's because it's not a hurricane. We've got nothing to worry about. You've got plenty to worry about. We'll continue to follow that uh, tomorrow, no doubt, on our Green News Report (laughs) and beyond. Okay. Uh, Before the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday night, after we had spent much, if not all, of our shows pretty much every day last week covering the legal uh, trench warfare, now taking place in in both state and federal courts across the country with Democrats and voting rights advocates lining up to try and make sure that all Americans can vote safely this year and have their votes counted as per every voter's intent. Uh, We covered a lot of that on our shows uh, last week. Uh, Good news and bad news alike coming out from the courts. You can download all of those shows, of course, as always, for free at brandblog.com if you missed any. And as we vowed to keep our eyes on little more than that, little more than the election and the the fight to vote this year, because as we saw last week, little else was anywhere near as important. Amid all of that, um, progressive Congresswoman, uh, New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out one of her selfie videos on Twitter, again, before the passing of RBG, uh, speaking to the importance of this year's uh, presidential election thing you need to do is vote. And I want to talk to some of my brothers and sisters and some of my brethren that don't vote. And they don't vote not out of apathy, but actually because they feel so heartbroken at our democracy. Because I understand why people say, I don't vote, what's the point? I, I, I really empathize with it. I'm not here to dismiss you. I'm not here to poo-poo you. I'm not here to say you're wrong or that you're a bad person. What I'm here to say is that this year, this election, voting for someone, voting for Joe Biden is not about whether you agree with him. It's a vote to let our democracy live another day. That's what this is about. We need to act in solidarity and protection for the most vulnerable people in our society who have already experienced the violent repercussions of this administration. You need to vote for Joe Biden so that democracy can live another day. 
That was uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez before the passing of passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg last Friday, speaking to progressives. Yes, including progressives in her home state of her own home state of New York. And yes, out here in so-called blue California, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for democracy to live another day, according to AOC. That is where we are. And. I personally share the Congresswoman's sentiment on that point. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died on Friday at the age of 87, notes our friend, legal reporter at uh, Slate and frequent guest on this program, journalist Mark Joseph Stern. Ginsburg spent her life promoting a vision of the Constitution that guarantees equal justice to women, racial minorities, and LGBTQ people, while defending government programs that protect the less fortunate from poverty, exploitation, discrimination. She was a hero to millions. Ginsburg served on the federal bench for 40 years, working tirelessly through seven presidencies and five bouts of cancer to help create a more just nation. Her death triggers one of the most consequential swings in the court's balance of power less than two months before this year's election. In 1972, Ginsburg co-founded the ACLU's Women's Rights Project, which brought multiple cases to the Supreme Court. Arguing before the justices, Ginsburg persuaded an all-male court to invalidate laws discriminating on the basis of sex against uh, under the Equal Protection Clause. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter appointed her to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Circuit. Three years later, President Bill Clinton elevated her to the Supreme Court. During her Senate confirmation hearing, Ginsburg did not conceal her support for women's rights, including abortion access. Nonetheless, at the time, she was confirmed 96 to 3. During her tenure, uh, her 27-year tenure on the Supreme Court, Ginsburg authored several watershed opinions, expanding, as she put it, our understanding of who counts as we the people, striving toward a more perfect union. Perhaps most notably, she wrote the majority opinion in U.S. v. Virginia, invalidating the Virginia Military Institute's policy against female enrollment, heightening judicial scrutiny against laws that discriminate because of sex. Ginsburg also joined the majority in countless liberal victories, including Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, striking down targeted regulation of abortion providers and Obergefell versus Hodges, extending same-sex marriage to every state. She penned dissents, for example, in Shelby County versus Holder, in which the Republican appointees on the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act back in 2013, and the dissent in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby, which allowed corporations to deny female employees contraceptive coverage. For these dissents, Ginsburg was celebrated as the notorious RBG, an image that never quite fit the quiet intellectual justice, but amused her nonetheless, Mark reports. After the pop culture legend fades, he says she will likely be remembered as a giant of the judiciary who entrenched her progressive constitutional theories in the supreme law of the land. Ginsburg died of metastatic pancreatic cancer at her home in the Watergate, surrounded by loved ones. Upon her death, Chief Justice John Roberts said in a statement, Our our nation has lost a jurist of historic stature. 
We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague. Today, he said, we mourn, but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her a tireless and resolute champion of justice. What happens to her seat may now, Mark notes, be the most important question in the presidential election. After Justice Antonin Scalia's death in 2016, Senate Republicans refused to even consider President Barack Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, insisting that the seat remain vacant until, quote, the American people decide who should appoint Scalia's replacement. By doing so, Republicans established a new rule. No Supreme Court confirmations during a presidential election year. In the days before her death, the justice dictated a statement to her granddaughter, quote, My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Democrats, argues Mark Joseph Stern, should now have no compunction about holding Republicans to their rule especially when the stakes are so high, even though they have no power to prevent a confirmation vote. If Trump replaces Ginsburg, which he vowed to do on the night of her passing, and today said that he intends to nominate uh, to announce his nomination to fill her seat by this Friday or Saturday, if he does that, he will pull the Supreme Court farther to the right than it has been since the 1930s. The court he says, will pose a clear and present danger to reproductive rights, LGBTQ equality, labor and environmental regulations, life-saving social programs like the Affordable Care Act, which Republicans in the Trump administration are right now, right now before the Supreme Court, arguing to strike down in its entirety with oral arguments set for November 10, just one week after Election Day. If Donald Trump fills Ginsburg's seat, he will remake the court for generations to come. Generations. Trump, writes Stern, is all but certain to nominate Amy Coney Barrett, an extremely right-wing judge that he put on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit as her replacement. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who'd held Scalia's seat open for more than a year in order to successfully steal the court's majority for the Republicans, he has already said he will fill a vacant seat this year. Barrett's confirmation, if it happens, would create a 6-3 to three conservative supermajority on the court. Ideologically, Justice Brett Kavanaugh would now sit at the center of the court. That's right, Brett Kavanaugh who was convincingly accused by several women of sexual assault before his uh, confirmation was rammed through, he will be the court's ideological swing vote if things proceed right now as Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are planning. Chief Justice John Roberts might occasionally join the remaining liberals, as he did last term, but his defection would not change the outcome of any case, even if he voted with the liberals, for example, to save Obamacare and the 20 million Americans who have access to health care because of it. And the untold millions who have access to health care at all, thanks to its protections against refusing health care insurance to those with pre-existing conditions, even if John Roberts voted with the court's liberals on that case that's before the court right now, that would still not be enough to prevent the landmark law from being struck down root and branch, 
as Mitch McConnell has for so many years called, ending its Medicaid expansion to millions of Americans, ending the federal health care exchanges, the federal subsidies, and yes, ending pre-existing conditions protections uh, for tens, if not hundreds of millions of Americans. This new court would drag the judiciary far outside the mainstream legal establishment. Next term, the new majority, in addition to accepting Red State's invitation to eradicate the entire Affordable Care Act, uh, next term, they could eviscerate Roe v. Wade and allow states to ban abortion. They could expand states' powers to disenfranchise voters. They could hobble the remnants of the Voting Rights Act entirely. The court's current right-wing conservatives are already eager to strike down federal regulations on pollution, on employment, on banking, and more, while abolishing the independence of agencies, federal agencies, that are tasked with enforcing those regulations. Coney Barrett's presence on the court would give them a solid fifth vote for those goals, even if Judge uh, Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts defects. She would also shore up a five-justice majority to strike down broad swaths of gun control legislation. It is difficult to see how the Supreme Court's institutional prestige could survive this conservative assault on the laws and precedents that form the bedrock of American governance today, writes Mark. McConnell already altered the size of the court in order to stop Obama from filling one seat. Now he is poised to fill another In the waning days of Trump's first term, a total and predictable reversal of his putative principle that the American people should uh, decide who gets to fill a vacancy in a presidential election year. All of that said, Stern concludes, above all else, Ginsburg was an optimist. She had an unceasing, unceasing faith in humankind's ability to better itself, to shed irrational bigotries, to come together in the pursuit of the greater good. Less than a year ago, the justice said she believed our current period of history will be remembered as an aberration. It is now up to us to prove her right, says Mark Joseph Stern over at Slate. Well, that won't be easy, but I say let's give it a try. I don't believe that we have a choice at this point anymore in the matter. The late Supreme Court justice will lie in repose outside the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. On Wednesday and Thursday, the court announced on Monday morning she will be the first woman to hold that honor. There will be a private memorial service inside the building for Ginsburg's friends and family, along with her fellow justices on Wednesday morning. After the ceremony, Ginsburg will be brought outside to lie in repose for public viewing at the top of the steps of the Supreme Court building on Wednesday through Thursday. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has now announced uh, that the late justice will also lie in state in the National Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol on Friday. She will be the first woman to receive that honor as well in our nation's nearly 250-year history. Ceremony will be held that morning. It will be limited to invited guests only, however, due to COVID-19. 
Uh, she will then be buried during a private service next week in Arlington National Cemetery, according to the court. While it may seem there is uh, little that can be done to stop RBG's replacement before Inauguration Day next year, given the hypocrisy and mendacity of Mitch McConnell and the bulk of his caucus, it is not yet a lost cause. Uh, we, we must fight like hell against it in order to force... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, through Senate approval, Mitch McConnell did away with the filibuster in the Senate for Supreme Court nominees, meaning a bare majority of 51 votes. That's it. Is That's what's now needed to push through whoever Republicans may like to push through with their current 53-47 advantage in the upper chamber. So far, two and only two, to my knowledge, Two uh, Republican senators have stated that a vote should not be held until after the election or more to the point after Inauguration Day. After after Americans have exercised that voice in the matter that Mitch McConnell pretended for nearly a year to be so concerned about back in 2016 after the death of Scalia. Republican senators uh, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Senator Susan Collins of Maine who is facing a tough re-election challenge this year. Both of them have now stated, uh, well, they had stated previously before RBG's death that uh, they did not believe a vacancy should be filled in the event one occurred in the final year of Trump's first term. Both of those women over the weekend appeared at least to stay true to those convictions, at least for now. Murkowski said on Sunday she opposed voting on a nominee to fill the seat of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Before this November's election, she said in a statement for weeks, I have stated that I would not support taking up potential Supreme Court vacancies this close to the election. Sadly, that was then a uh, what was then a hypothetical is now a reality. But my position has not changed, she said. Her Senate colleague, Susan Collins, has also come out against the confirmation vote before Election Day. But hours after the death of Ginsburg on Friday, McConnell vowed a vote on Trump's nominee to fill the seat, with Trump on Saturday saying he would move, quote, without delay to announce a nominee. So that brings the whip count to 51 Republicans so far in favor of replacing RBG as soon as McConnell brings it to the floor, and 49 against. Two more Republican defectors would be needed to block it, presuming all Democrats and independents vote against it. Iowa's Senator Chuck Grassley, who previously chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee, where any such nomination would begin, he told the Des Moines Register back in July of this year that he would not support a new Supreme Court nominee in 2020. He told the paper, quote, you can't have one rule for Democratic presidents and another rule for Republican presidents. Republican Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, who faces an uphill fight for re-election this year there in just 43 days, he said prior to Ginsburg's death, quote, I think we're too close to the election. The president who was elected in November should be the one who makes this decision. Really? Hope you still feel that way, Senator. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida similarly said, before the seat opened up on Friday. Quote, I don't think we should be moving on a nominee in the last year of this president's term. I would say that if I would say that if it was a Republican president. Would you, Marco? Will you still? To my knowledge, none of them have uh, yet stated if they plan to renege on those statements. 
On the other hand, the man who now heads up the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, who is also apparently facing a very tough re-election in his own home state, where Democrat Jamie Harrison is now said to be tied with Graham in pre-election polls, well, you heard Lindsey Graham at the top of this show telling The Atlantic's Jeff Goldberg in uh, back in October of 2018, trying to justify his treatment of Merrick Garland uh, back in 2016, saying that, quote, if an opening comes in the last year of President's, uh, President Trump's term and the primary process has started, we will wait until the next election. It wasn't the first time that he had gone firmly on record with that statement. Here he is back in April of 2016 as Republicans were refusing a hearing or a vote or even a meeting with Barack Obama's nominee to Phil Scalia's seat, Merrick Garland, noting at that time in no uncertain terms during a meeting of the Judiciary Committee his belief that a vacancy should not ever be filled in the last year of a presidential term and that we could hold him accountable for that. This is the last year uh, of a lame duck president. And if Ted Cruz or Donald Trump get to be president, they've all asked us not to confirm or take up a selection by President uh, Obama. So if a vacancy occurs in their last year of their first term, guess what? You will use their words against them. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, whoever it might be, make that nomination. And you could use my words against me and you'd be absolutely right. We're setting a precedent here today, Republicans are, that in the last year, at least of a lame duck eight-year term, I would say it's going to be a four-year term, that you're not going to fill a vacancy of the Supreme Court based on what we're doing here today. That's going to be the new rule. So uh, there was Lindsey Graham saying, you could hold my name to it, hold me accountable. We, I, I, uh, we should not nominate someone in, in the last year of a president's term, and you can hold me accountable. You can use my words against me. Well, you will be shocked to learn that the man who once called Donald Trump a racist, xenophobic bigot who is unfit for the Oval Office but who now reveres him, plays golf with him regularly, and is one of his top supporters in the Senate, you will be shocked to learn that Lindsey Graham has made a 180-degree turn on that, on that repeatedly stated position for which he asked us previously to hold him accountable. Graham now says he supports, quote, any effort to move forward to fill the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. That is a very different tune, of course, from when he said, I want you to use my words against me back in 2016 and again in 2018. Graham began to set the stage for his epic reversal more recently when he said in May that, quote, appointing judges is a high priority for me in 2020 and that Merrick Garland was, quote, a different situation. He was already preparing to lie, to turn around, to be a hypocrite. He completed that reversal on Saturday, the day after she died, tweeting that he would support a Supreme Court nomination by President Trump. Quote, I will support President Donald Trump in any effort to move forward regarding the recent vacancy created by the passing of Justice Ginsburg, wrote Graham. But still, despite Lindsey Graham, 
who needs to be rolled the hell out of the Senate this November 3rd. Despite that, just two more Republicans would be needed to block a vote in the chamber. And one of them, uh, Republican Senator Martha McSally, who is said to be in trouble in her reelection bid in Arizona against uh, Democratic former astronaut Mark Kelly, she is actually running in a special election this November 3rd. In her case, if she loses, she could be replaced by Kelly by the end of November rather than having to wait until the new Congress is seated in January. So if if he wins and if his election is certified in time and is if he is allowed to be seated in the U.S. Senate, I know that's a lot of ifs, but then he would be another reliable vote against a new justice before the inauguration. And then you would need just one. But none of this is going to be easy. And while some progressives are suggesting that Democrats should announce their intention right now to expand the court by four seats to take back the liberal majority that they should already have if Republicans dare to seat a nominee before Inauguration Day, well, I'm in favor of that in general. My only concern is the threat, the threat to expand the the court if Republicans seat someone now. That means that if someone is not seated right now, that they won't expand the court, even though they should have done that. They should do that already. They should already be calling for that. They should expand it by two seats if nobody is seated by the Republicans right now, and they should expand it to four if Republicans seat someone now before Inauguration Day, presuming Joe Biden wins, which is a big presumption, another big if. All of that relies on the notion that the Democrats will somehow win back both the White House and the Senate majority this November. Two pretty huge ifs, as far as I'm concerned. But let's take a breather. Let's come back with more, hopefully with your calls on what you would like to see Democrats do and say right now. And, of course, any of your thoughts on the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if you would like to share them. I've got plenty to talk about. I've got a lot more to, a lot more clips to play and everything else. But if you'd like to ring in and derail us entirely, I would welcome that. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland 237 days before Election Day in 2016. Republicans refused to even grant him a meeting or a hearing, much less an up or down vote. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died 46 days 
before Election Day 2020, and Trump has yet to nominate anyone, though he vows to do so by the end of this week when we will be just over 30 days before the election. Can Mitch McConnell and his hypocritical Republican caucus in the Senate really ram through someone that quickly before the election? Would they do so if they couldn't? Would they do so in the lame duck after the election? Even if Joe Biden somehow becomes the president elect, would you put it past them? You certainly shouldn't, because that is what McConnell has vowed to do. Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts had uh, one of the best responses that I have seen from uh, the Democrats so far after too many half-hearted responses from other Dems on Friday night when uh, Markey tweeted, Mitch McConnell set the precedent. No Supreme Court vacancies filled in an election year. If he violates it, when Democrats control the Senate in the next Congress, we must abolish the filibuster and expand the Supreme Court. I agree. But what if uh, he doesn't violate that promise or uh, a combination of Democrats and a few Republicans in the Senate somehow prevent him from filling that seat? In my opinion, Democrats must still expand the Republicans' stolen Supreme Court in order to restore the liberal majority that was rightly theirs after Scalia died in 2016. What do you think Dems should do? Uh, 818-985-5735. What steps should they take? Should they threaten to expand the court? Does a threat to expand uh, with, with, with a new justice uh, seated prevent them from expanding anyway? No matter what Republicans do, because it's already a stolen seat as far as I'm concerned. Should they, in fact, bring another impeachment to force the Senate to hold off seating a new justice, at least for as long as they can, since an impeachment sent from the House of, uh, of Representatives to the Senate requires them, at least under current Senate rules, to pretty much stop all other business in order to consider the impeachment with a trial of some sort that uh, is being called for in some quarters? An impeachment of, of either uh, 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 Trump, another impeachment of Trump or Bill Barr. Nancy Pelosi has said she would not rule that out. Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said we must use every procedural tool available. But what do you think Democrats should do? 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let's go to Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. Great minds run on similar circles. Uh, to me, the whole problem is the original sin of McConnell deciding to act against God and the Constitution by not permitting the Garland uh, nomination to proceed yep. when that was clearly what was called for. So for now, every time any procedural matter comes up in the Senate, Democrats should roll tape of McConnell and Graham yep. giving the lie to themselves and demonstrating how little sacred honor means nowadays. After the election, assuming that we have a Democrat in the White House and Democrats controlling the Senate, we should consider uh, proceeding with court expansion. 
Yeah, and that can be done, by the way. No constitutional uh, uh, change is needed. If the Democrats have the White House, the, the Senate, and the House majority, and they do away with the filibuster in the Senate, they can pass that tomorrow. They can expand the court tomorrow. And by the way, they can also make uh, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states adding four more likely Democratic senators to that body as well. The number of justices has been changed over the history of the Republic. Yes, it has many times. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Call 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let's go to uh, Eva. Where am I here? Eva in Van Nuys. Hey, Eva, welcome to the broadcast. Hello, Brad. How are you today? Oh, I've been better. How about yourself? Uh, well, I got depressed when I heard what you have to say today. Yeah, sorry. The fact is, the fact is that we have to change our attitude completely toward this political charade. Okay. First of all, I have to say these words: God's mind, God's truth, new earth, new truth. The last year was a horrendous change to humanity. And this didn't happen for no reason. It happened to show us to stick together and fight dark forces. What I mean by dark forces is what Earth went through for the last few thousand years. This is a time for us to think out of the box to think as spiritual being connected without any division of color, religion, ethnicity, uh, humanity of any sort, even aliens. Okay, I'm saying it, even mm. aliens. Mm -hmm. The truth shall come out right now. And what I want you to do is spread the good thought. Just think about our world correcting itself and the world and, the, and all lies shall come out as it is for the last year. Everybody came out like cockroaches, crawling everywhere. This is what we want. But we want it in peace between all humanity. We want the realization of us as spiritual beings, connected together, never separated. If we wish it to be the best humanity ever to exist for the next time, we should act now by thinking all together as one. Thank you, Eva. Thank you. I really appreciate the call. I appreciate the thoughts. And uh, that's why I wanted to hear from everyone. We need to think together as one. Somehow we need to bring this country uh, back to reason, back to, uh, well, not one way of thinking, but moving forward together as Americans somehow. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, let's go to uh, Naomi in Santa Monica. Hey, Naomi, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Hi. So, yeah. Hi. Um, so I'm thinking that we need to start playing hardball like they do. Yeah. And, and remove the filibuster and just vote everything we want. Yep. And not worry about them anymore, just like they don't worry about us. Yep. And the other thing that I think is really important, Brad, yeah. is the Latino vote. I think once we get in, we need to grant amnesty um, 
Reagan granted amnesty. I don't know if it was by executive order or what, but we need to grant them amnesty. We need to motivate and animate the Latino vote because they are the sleeping giant. Once we get them motivated to come out with a with an amnesty, we've got the we've got the the uh, electoral college forever. Thanks for that thought, Naomi. I greatly appreciate it. Um, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Yeah, I think uh, Democrats need to start playing hardball uh, because they have been bringing a paper butter knife to a nuclear war at this point for far too long. Uh, Let me go to uh, where am I here? A lot of folks want to get in. I appreciate that. Let me go to Mark in Sherman Oaks. Hey, Mark, welcome to the broadcast, sir. What uh, what should Dems do now? Uh, well, I think that whatever the Democrat can do, it's nothing that will be close enough to please the people from who listen to KPFK and to you. Because the, the Republicans, I mean, they have guts, and they are more in sync with their electorate than uh, the Democrat. The Demo- I mean, the Democrat is 87 person who wants uh, uh, public health care, and uh, Biden say, no, I won't give it to you. I mean... See, they, they absolutely don't care. So, Well, let me just say this, Mark. Let me say this in response to that. You know, uh, Biden is not saying, no, I won't give it to you. Biden is saying, I will give it to you, but I will give it to you in a different way, not the Medicare for all way that uh, the, the progressives might like. Well, you know what? We push uh, Joe Biden to do exactly that. He is expanding health care. He has expanded health care. The Affordable Care Act expanded health care. And while I am no fan of Joe Biden, I have made that clear. Let's just, you know, tell the truth about it with the Republicans now in the Supreme Court trying to remove health care from anywhere from uh, 20 to 30 million Americans by cutting down the Affordable Care Act. And that is why there's 20 or 30 million Americans unemployed because of this president and this administration's failure to deal with with COVID-19. Brad, I agree with you, but I understand that there's a lot of chances that they did not fight for the guy that Obama presented, I forgot his name, because they wanted that in the balance for the election because they were so sure that Hillary was going to be elected. And so it was good to, on the top of it, say, look, we have to nominate a new judge. You cannot let Trump choose. Well, you know what? He already chose two and he's about to choose another one. Yeah. You know, so... Constantly, the Democrats are making the wrong move because they don't care for us. Because I'm sorry, they, they don't care for they say, say they don't care for Earth. You say for us, for, for us, for the people. They take okay. for granted our vote. Okay, they take it for granted constantly. Okay, uh, while the Republicans, as bad as they are, they listen to the extreme right. most of the time. Well, of th- their party, and 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 then they say, oh, okay, that's what you guys want. I mean, and they do it. All right. Thank you, Mark. I do appreciate that call. And I'm only uh, moving on quickly here because there's a ton of folks who, who want to get in on this. Uh, and I, I do appreciate that call. Let me go to um, Jared in Montebello. Hopefully it's not Jared Kushner, but I'd love to hear from him. Hey, Jared, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you, Brad. Thank you for taking my call. Yep. I wanted to point out a couple of things that I'm not hearing in debate much. And that first one is that that election year nominations going back uh, to the very first one have tended to be okay, um, and they mm-hmm. have tended to go through without any controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time that we really had a major controversy was more than anything. I wanted to point out is one of our election year nominations 
Uh, that was in the 50s, and that was Earl Warren. Eisenhower's greatest mistake, as he said it. He, he was an election year nominee, and I'm only, Jared, now your your phone is sort of coming in and out there. So uh, I... I that's okay. I think I think your point I think your point is that uh, this whole pretend can't nominate someone on election year uh, was invented by Mitch McConnell, and now he's ignoring it. It it it, it, it actually was because if you look at the history of it, mm-hmm. um, probably the only one I can think of offhand where an election before now was when Abe Fortas was not confirmed. That was a uh, 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 Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Abe Fortas was pretty corrupt at the time, as as a lot of people thought. So that was not a good nomination. But that's the only election year prior to this become... Ah, we're losing you again. Let me let let you go here, uh, Jared. I appreciate your uh, call. I think I understand the the point of what you were trying to say, and I'm sorry the phone keeps coming in and out. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a break here real quick. Come back with the rest of your calls, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, RBG, rest in power. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. If I had ever been it before, I would probably know just what to do. Don't you? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. If I had ever been it before, on another time around the wheel, I would probably know just how to deal. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, you're, 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 what's that uh, question you're asking about? Um, well, it occurred to me that if McConnell manages mm-hmm. to somehow successfully push through a Supreme Court nominee that uh, before the election mm-hmm. on November 3rd, yeah. then would that SCOTUS nominee then be allowed yeah. to vote and rule in any election disputes that might come after the November 3rd <laughs> yep. election, which Trump has telegraphed is his plan, his yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It would be a six to three majority in favor of Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court if there was any question about the outcome of the 2020 election, if uh, they're able to ram somebody through. And even if they aren't, even if they aren't able to, by the way, it'll still be five to three at this point. So uh, the odds are not looking good. People need to uh, wake up to that, realize that, realize what we're up against, realize, by the way, that this whole election, if Trump does what he says he's going to do, could well get thrown to the U.S. House, where it will be decided uh, by the, in the U.S. House by a, uh, each state there gets one single vote. And the majority right now of the House delegations are actually Republican. I know people think there's a Republican, uh, a Democratic majority in the U.S. House. That's true when everyone gets to vote. But in a case like this, look it up in the 12th Amendment, one vote per state, which means the Republicans would have an advantage. It will be a hell of a lot harder to argue that Donald Trump should be seated if Joe Biden ends up with five, 10 million more votes than Donald Trump. 
So I know you folks out here in uh, California who think you have the luxury of voting third party or say, staying at home or other you know blue states like that. Um, up to you, but I would think again because a vote even in California for Joe Biden could very well make a difference if there's a challenge to this election, as I think is almost well. I don't do predictions. I think it's very possible that it could happen the way things are going. Let me uh, get back to some calls here. 818-985-5735. Craig in Santa Monica. Hey, Craig, welcome to the broadcast. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Go. My question was, under what circumstances could they invoke quorum? In in the uh, U.S. Senate? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I I had the rules on that some years ago actually. I don't remember them now. However, I believe that if the Senate uh if the uh, Democrats walk out, I still think there would be a quorum in the US Senate. I am not sure. More to the point is what is the uh, quorum rules on the uh, House Judici- on the Senate Judiciary Committee, if Democrats don't show up there, would that right, stop right. the meeting? That, that, yeah. That's to my point. Yeah. So, on, in committee. Yeah. I, I would like to look uh, into that again. It's been a while since I, I used to know what the answer was. Today, I don't, but I suspect we'll be looking into that uh, in the days ahead as well. The only problem uh, to keep in mind, Craig, is that these are Senate rules. They have a majority. They can go ahead and change the rules any time with a simple majority vote. So keep uh, that in mind, Craig. Thanks uh, for that call, though. I do appreciate it. Let me go to Gigi in, uh, where are we, Pasadena. And if everyone could try to keep them short, we'll try to get to as many folks as we can here. Hey, Gigi, welcome back to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Hi, darling. Listen, yeah. um, my point is, of course, we all know it's either Joe Biden or game over. And I think everyone knows that. But I just don't understand. I do understand really why. But the Democrats, all of this time, why weren't they helping to get people that are going to be um, um, assaulted when they go to vote or have to stand out six and a half hours in line? Why didn't they set up things and use all this time so that, you know, you're asking people. Oh, they have uh, been, Gigi. Gigi, they have been. They have been filing cases all over the country. We covered case after case after case pretty much five days in a row, I think, last week uh, on this show on the broadcast. Democrats have been fighting like hell for access uh, to voting rights, to uh, you know absentee voting, to drop boxes, to all of those things. They have been fighting like hell. They have won a lot of those cases. They won a few more of them today, by the way. So there's a lot of reasons to criticize the Democrats, at least on that point when it comes to access to polls, they've been pretty good. Well, that's good. I'm glad I said it so you could say it so everyone can hear it, and I'll be at the polls voting for Joe. There you go. If you do, please be safe. Gigi, appreciate the call. Uh, yeah, they have not been great on uh, voting systems, the mechanics behind voting machines, the uh, ease with which they are hacked and gamed and manipulated by insiders and hackers alike. Uh, but when it comes to voting rights, they've actually been fairly decent. Uh, so there is that. But never mind why didn't Democrats do this or that. The question is, what do we do now? Roger in Minneapolis. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh, thank you, Brad. Um, when I received the news of the passing of Greater Ginsburg, I went into a state of mild shock. Uh, my 
cortisol spiked. <laughs> I, I felt exactly as though I had just narrowly been in some kind of a confrontation with death. Mm. Um, and uh, th- the fact is, as this reality sinks in, we're in a real predicament here. Recently, I have been reviving my interest in the music of the Rolling Stones. Uh, and there is a song, a very famous one, Street Fighting Man. I'm not talking about fighting in the streets. There may be people who want to do that. But the vibe of that song yeah. is about determination. There's anger. There's action in it. And right. that's what we have to be prepared for. The Democrats have to stop their lily padding around and get brass knuckles on these bastards. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate that. Desi, write down that song. Uh, Roger, it may okay. show It may show up as bumper music uh, this week. We got one more uh, chance for, well, we always end it this way when, whenever we can. Morris in Long Beach. Morris, uh, tell me something that's going to make us feel better for the rest of the week, please. Okay, here's what we do. We got to impeach this guy on the virus, okay? One thing that the Democrats, Republicans, black, white, Jews, and Gentiles all have in common, we've all been hit by this virus. This is how we take over the uh, the news media. Forget the Supreme Court nominee. We tie Trump into his negligence on the virus. 100,000 people are going to die in the next 30 days, okay? That's more people that die in some of our wars. So that's where we get him on, impeach him on the virus. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Morris. Well done. Well said. He's very good at this. All right. We got to get out of here. We will continue our coverage, of course, about uh, whatever the hell is coming uh, in the days ahead. Uh, and I think we got somebody to talk, uh, an expert to talk about expanding the court on tomorrow's broadcast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, until then, I want to uh, thank our producer, Desi Doyen, my board operator today, Federico Garcia, and all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Thanks for all the calls. My apologies to those folks who I could not get to today. Just too much to cover. Um, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I would love to hear from you. And you will find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Find everything we do there. Share it with your friends, family, and enemies alike. We are uh, fighting back. We are not going to back down. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.